Thank you for listening to Sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. You all still have your thumbs on Philippians chapter 1? Okay, cool. Hold on one second then. So anyway, about our fellowship. I know there's plenty of time to fellowship before uh, church starts. We got our fellowship time at 8.30. But if I give you more time to enjoy some coffee and hot chocolate, it'll help us wake up before my sermon puts you to sleep. Amen? Too late, huh? We we already fell asleep, didn't we? (laughs) Terrible joke, terrible joke. When we stop and think about it, some of life's uh, best moments come when we share a meal with family and friends. It's not just about the food, but the fellowship and the conversations. Who enjoys our monthly potluck that we have? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, we normally do it on the fourth or the fifth Sunday, and our upcoming one's about two weeks out now. But it's an opportunity to not just eat together, but to share what's on our hearts as a church family. Amen. Amen. Remember the 3,000 that gave their hearts to Christ after Peter preached to them on the day of Pentecost? What happened right after that? This is at the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were doing more than just enjoying coffee together to wake up before sermon. They were doing more than just eating a meal together. They literally shared their lives together. Good, bad, ugly, raw, peachy, you name it. And this too mirrored the relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi. (coughs) What a remarkable relationship they had together. When's the last time someone paid us such a deep compliment saying, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Wouldn't it be awesome if this kind of fellowship was part of our lifestyle? Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's back up. What is fellowship anyway? The word fellowship is a special word. People back then called it koinonia, meaning partnership like a marriage partnership or business partnership. People who are in it together, who participate together to make their relationship work. Fellowship is crucial for Christians. So let's see what the Bible says about the fellowship we all can enjoy within the family of God. Amen? Amen. So please follow along again. This Philippians chapter 1, but this time I want to read my translation. Here we go. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, the overseers and deacons being in Philippi, grace to you and peace from God, Father of us and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God over every memory of you, always in every petition of me, for all of you producing the supplication with gladness. I also thank my God over your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, 
having been persuaded of this very thing, that the one having begun in you a good work will superimpose completion on it until the day of Christ Jesus. Accordingly, it is right for me to feel this concerning all of you, since you all are the ones being fellow partakers with me of grace, to hold me by the heart in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long after you all in the affection of Christ Jesus. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all discernment, sinking into the things bearing through to try you so that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, being filled with fruit of righteousness that is through Jesus Christ into glory and praise of God. Point number one, Christian fellowship means we have each other on our minds. Paul wrote this letter to his Christian friends in Philippi while he was in prison in Rome. Paul's situation was anything but happy. Although he could get a daily food allowance since he was a Roman citizen, he didn't have the accommodations American prisoners have nowadays, like clothing and a nice workout gym and dental coverage. As a matter of fact, non-Roman citizens had to fully rely on friends for their sustenance, including food and drink. So Paul was arrested, incarcerated, and his case was about to come up for trial. But was Paul complaining about his situation? Well, maybe at some point, but here in Philippians, Paul hunts the good stuff. He recalls how sweet it was to be with his Christian friends in Philippi. And exactly what was Paul reflecting on about them? Recall Acts chapter 16. Philippi was the first town he brought the gospel to in Europe. Lydia was the first convert, and she continued to have a prominent role there. The Philippian jailer gave his heart to Christ after an earthquake, an earthquake rattled the shackles off Paul, Silas, and the other prisoners. Death was the penalty given to any jailer who allowed prisoners to escape during the watch. And he was about to do it to himself when Paul tells him, Don't hurt yourself! We are all here! If we had the opportunity to escape, wouldn't we do it? Well, we got one. <laughs> but what a statement Paul, Silas, and the other prisoners made by staying. The Philippian, the Philippian jailer was so moved that he asked Paul and Silas straight up, What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your entire household. And the Philippian jailer had them over to his house, allowing Paul to tell them about Jesus. Then they were all baptized. Then they enjoyed food and fellowship afterwards. The memories Paul and his Philippian friends made with each other don't get much more special than that. Amen? Amen. And guess what else Paul thought about? How about the problems they were having? He thought of their needs their troubles and their hardships. And the same was true on their end. The Philippians were thinking of Paul's needs. His, was, his mind was on them. Their minds were on him. Who has ever survived 
a natural disaster. Bless your heart, brother. Bless your heart. Did anyone hear about the tornadoes shredding the mainland earlier this spring on the news? There were literally like over 80 touchdowns across 14 different states in a matter of two days. And what did the news crew overlook? How about the people standing in the gap for those affected the most? Yes. The best part about natural disasters is that they highly motivate us to bond with our neighbors that were once strangers. I'm talking about the ones arriving before the news van showed up, digging through what was once your house to find you unharmed in a bathtub with a mattress on top. Yes, these kinds of neighbors that stay with you for days, if not weeks, after the news van leaves the scene. Natural disasters embody one of the reasons why God made the church a family to begin with. When the storms of life hit, we have others that God has given us to help us. Or we are that neighbor. May these times always remind us we're never alone. Amen? Amen. That's the thing about Christian fellowship. Or should I say partnership? Paul and his Christian friends thought of themselves as partners in the faith. They weren't in it alone. They were in it together. Philippians 2.4 states, let each of you not only look, not, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What happens when we do that? We become a life-changing fellowship. How's our fellowship with each other been lately? Does this describe it? How are things going? Fine. What's been going on this week? Not much. What would we rather have? The strongest instinct we have is a sense of belonging. We want to bond together like Ohana. We need someone to genuinely care about us. We need someone to listen. Sometimes we need someone to help shoulder our burdens. When someone asks me, how are things? Ideally, I want to be raw with them. I feel like my life is unraveling, and I don't know what to do. Or, I have an older brother who drinks too much. Or, my heart is being ripped to shreds. Or, I feel like my spiritual life is flatlined. Now, just to be clear, am I going to be candid about everything going on in my life to everyone? Well, there's a time and place for that. But church, if there's anyone I'm going to trust, I want to turn to you. And please turn to me. I have a passion for pastoral counseling. Let's fix our minds on each other. And we, when we think of each other, we should be thankful for one another. Just to think of one another ought to encourage us. Our minds have to be on these right things before we are truly obeying this matter of Christian fellowship. Amen? Amen. It, it begins when we have each other on our minds, but it doesn't stop there. Here's point number two. Christian fellowship means we hold each other in our hearts. 
Paul had the Philippians in his heart, and they had him in their hearts. Let me read verses 5 through 8 again, my translation. I also thank my God over your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, having been persuaded of this very thing, that the one having begun in you a good work will superimpose completion on it until the day of Christ Jesus. Accordingly, it is right for me to feel this concerning all of you, since you are the ones being fellow partakers with me of grace, to hold me by the heart in my imprisonment and in the, the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long after you in the affection of Christ Jesus. That's the way it ought to be for every Christian on the face of this earth, no matter what. We need to have each other in our hearts. Why? Because God saves you and me the same way he does anyone becoming like Jesus. I'm highlighting verse 6 here. This very thing that the one having begun in you a good work will superimpose completion on it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is the founder of this formula. And he smokes what he deals. He holds us in his heart. And we hold him in our hearts as Christians. Let's think back to when we gave our hearts to Christ. How did it happen? What happened in your life to get you to that point? I was visiting Heartland Community Church just north of Cincinnati, and Pastor Chris Russell preached four weeks in a row that Christianity is not a religion but a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Why didn't everyone tell me this before, I thought. At the end of his sermon, he asked us, with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you aren't sure you're connected with God? You can raise your hand and put it back down. That fourth Sunday, I raised my hand and I put it back down. He didn't already know I already had a personal experience with God. About three years prior, I prayed to God seriously for the first time in my life, the way Matthew chapter 6 points out. It quotes Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount teaching to pray, not using colorful language as if we need to impress God, but approach God privately in your room. So while I was alone in my bedroom, I asked God to have my peers stop making fun of me at school, and I want to be thin again. In Jesus' name I prayed, amen. Then I left it alone for the entire summer break. And I kid you not, God answered the first prayer when the two most aggressive bullies shook my hand and said, Greg, I'm sorry for making fun of you last year. It was so random. I walked out of that restroom thinking, hmm, maybe there is a God. They never made fun of me again, at least not to my face. And I started making friends again that year. Remember what God did for me? Or I remember what God did for me. And so, of course, I was ready to be God's friend. So I did that very day, and the Holy Spirit entered my heart. When we gave our hearts to Christ, we had to realize that God gave his heart to us, the church. Amen? It's mutual. So as we're thinking about how we gave our hearts to Christ, how did our lives change? How would we describe the before and after Watch the salvation formula show up. We did nothing to merit the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I didn't deserve it. 
I was a sinner who flat out rejected God initially. But I pleaded to God to be friends with him. And he answered while I was still a sinner, not expecting me to fix myself before it happened. Thanks to God answering that first prayer, my faith was awakened. I then started attending regularly, studying the Bible in my youth group, soaking in life-changing lessons, gradually dying to myself and living for him. But who was making sure I was on track to be saved? Yes, God himself. And God is at the center of it. Hence verse 6. The one having begun in you a good work will superimpose completion on it until the day of Christ Jesus. Superimpose completion means he's doing the work. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Amen? Amen. And watch God use you and me to speak to each other so we become more like Christ. I found at PrayWithConfidence.com five ways in which God speaks to us. Number one, of course, we can probably name this one, the Bible itself. Number two, through prayer. Number three, through the Holy Spirit. Number four, through trusted advisors. And three, or five, through past experiences. Guess who is at the root of those trusted advisors? It's us, the church. Exactly. And Paul states, states in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, Whatever you, you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Church, take courage and let God speak through us. Let's hold each other in our hearts so our hearts can be more like Jesus'. Amen? Being exactly like Christ is the ultimate goal. And we will naturally help each other get there. Christian fellowship means we keep each other on our minds and in our hearts. And point number three, in our prayers. Paul states in verses 9 through 11, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all discernment, sinking into the things bearing through to try you, so that you may be pure and blameless unto the day of Christ, being filled with fruit of righteousness, that is through Jesus Christ into glory and praise of God. What does prayer actually mean? How many of y'all have heard this definition? Prayer is talking to God. Yeah, exactly. And technically that's not the definition of prayer. The result of praying is communicating with God. And the root of its definition is what gets Christians in sound communication with God. Prayer literally means to bow to the will to the one we're praying to. It is a compound word in both the Greek and the Hebrew. The Greek word has a prefix meaning pro, as in pro-life or pro-choice. So if we're pro-life, then that means we're against abortion and for and we're, we are for allowing babies to live. Amen. I see that baby out there. There we go. <laughs> Bunch of babies. <laughs> well, the stem of that word means will or desire. Therefore, whenever we pray to God, we bow to the will of God. That's exactly what praying to God means. Now, take the Hebrew definition of prayer. It has a prefix on it. 
giving the word reciprocal or back and forth meaning. Its stem means entreaty. If I'm a Jew and I have a request to give to my king, am I just going to go moseying in there and say, hey king, can you give me whatever I ask? How respectful is that? When my king summons me, I need to get down on my knees and pay my respects. Then the king says, okay, arise. What do you request? Then watch the communication take place. But notice, I had to bow to the will of the king before he bowed to my will. No wonder why Proverbs 15, 29 states, Yahweh is far from the wicked, but he listens to the prayer of the righteous. Because the righteous are the ones that are bowing to the will of God. No wonder why 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 states literally, pray, or should I say, bow to God's will without ceasing. No wonder why the Lord's Prayer starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because if his kingdom come, my kingdom go. Bowing to the will of God is at the center of definition of prayer each and every time. Clear as mud? Wow. I can tell you're all a little stunned by that. That's cool. That's cool. So with Paul's will centered on God's, he prays for the Philippian church. He prays that their love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and all discernment. What is love? Money can't buy love. It can't buy happiness. It can't buy laughter. It can't buy the gospel. If I offered you $1,000 to quit loving your mother and father, who would take that deal? I can hear my son Joel now. Daddy, how much would you give me to stop loving my big sister? Love is priceless. For it literally means to walk after God's commandments. Think about it. By following all of God's commandments, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, to name a few. We can never do each other harm. Who is all familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a.k.a. the love chapter of the Bible? Maybe a few of us. That's okay. According to SermonCentral.com, Jim Cain took that passage and expressed it in a way to show the love we need to have for our church, Johanna. Here's how he put it. If our church could hold services in five languages, or our, or our members could speak three, but we didn't, have, or we didn't love others, we would be all talk and no action. If our church really expressed its spiritual gifts with wholehearted service, and we became spiritual giants, but we did not love others, what good would we be? If our church had such faith that resulted in great healings and great miracles taking place, but we really did not love others, what would be the point? If we gave 50% of our budget to missions across our nation and around our world so that a great deal of spiritual and physical poverty was alleviated, but we did not love others, why would we do it? 
Our church is patient and kind. Our church is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Our church does not demand its own way. Our church is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. Our church is never glad about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Our church never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. God and His love will last forever. There are three things that will endure beyond our church. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these three? Love. So often we measure how well our church is doing by how many people attending and how much money they slip into the offering plate. But what we need most of all is to find some way to see if we are growing in our love for one another. Amen? Imagine being able to stand up here and report that our love for one another increased 70% last week. But how do we measure that love tangibly? Remember this. People who attend this church or any other can tell right away if a place containing true fellowship of love, if that place is containing true fellowship of love. And do we have love as our congregation? You bet we do. But let's make the good better. As Paul encouraged the Philippians, we need to abound still more and more in our Christian love. Amen? Amen. So Paul prays for the Philippians, their spiritual warfare, according to verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all discernment. But then he prays for trials to come their way. Ooh, why? Verse 10, sinking into the things bearing through to try you, so that you may be pure and blameless unto the day of Christ. We hate trials and suffering America, don't we? Who all dreads that physical training at 0630 in the morning? Come on, be honest. Eh, maybe a little bit, huh? But if we don't do it, then we don't grow in it. As much as we don't like it, we can't grow if we, are, if we always remain comfortable. But if we remain steadfast in the suffering, how are we blessed? Hebrews 12, 11 states, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Sounds like a lot like verse 11, amen? Being filled with fruit of righteousness that is through Jesus Christ in the glory and praise of God. Pain is never pointless. For God never wastes pain. Why? Who doesn't want to become more like Christ? Well, uncomfortable trials, they mold and shape us to become more like Him every time. God will never waste that pain. So let's get comfortable with the uncomfortable and pray for each other the same way Paul did with the Philippians. Amen? Amen. And what if we prayed that same prayer for each other? What if we bowed to God's will and built each other up in the fruit of righteousness? Imagine praying for each other's needs, each other's shortcomings, each other's temptations and frailties. Prayer on behalf of one another is an important way to fellowship. 
to build and strengthen each other in our faith. I know I need all the help I can get. We all need to help one another. For Christian fellowship starts with having each other in mind, in heart, and in prayer, but the rubber meets the road when we work together in hand in hand. And that brings us to our final point. Christian fellowship means we work together hand in hand. Who's all seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Ah, it's a good one. Awesome movie. That story about how the, those ordinary people and elves and halflings, they all team up to defeat the powerful Dark Lord. It started with a small group that bands together to do what needs done. And they, have, they had nothing in common. They held grudges and are suspicious about others in the group. And the group calls itself the Fellowship of the Ring for crying out loud. But they joined together for that common purpose. And over time, they learned to work together and became so close that they would risk their lives for one another as they worked together and fought together against the entire army of the Dark Lord. And how are we as a church any different? Every one of us is different. Sometimes our personalities clash to the point where it may seem impossible to ever get along or cooperate and work together for the cause of Christ. But Christian fellowship means, though, we must participate together in the Christian life and in Christian service. A preacher in Tennessee talks about how his father was not a Christian and never went to church. Everyone else in the family went, but his dad stayed home. The minister came by to visit, but his dad always said the same thing. Oh, I know what you want. You want just another name at church, just more money, and you don't really care about me. Well, towards the end of his life, he contracted throat cancer. He eventually lost his voice entirely. He was wasting away in the hospital room. But in the midst of this trial, the church mobilized. They filled his hospital room with flowers and cards. Food came to his house from his mom's Sunday school class. People came and prayed with him. Then one day he asked for someone to give him a scrap piece of paper. And with that trembling hand, he wrote these words. I was wrong. I was wrong about the church. He finally was willing to listen about God's plan of salvation and became a Christian before he died. But none of this would have happened if it were not for genuine love and the fellowship at that church. These people came together in loving service and they carried out God's will in their lives. So church, I ask us, myself included, how is God calling us to serve together? It's PCS season. Let's look around in our neighborhoods for those moving in and out. Maybe they're moving with one of those pods and they could use a hand. Maybe they're moving in and could use a hand. Maybe you might meet your chaplain out there and say, hey, would you like to check out Schofield Community Chapel? Wouldn't that be ironic if one of us brought our own chaplains in? Amen? Amen. <laughs> but we can fellowship through many ways. Many ways we can participate together in the work God calls us to do. 
Paul thanks the Philippians because as he states, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Whenever Paul went into a town to share the gospel, and whenever someone became a Christian, the Philippians back home shared in that, even though they weren't there. That's because they sent Paul what he needed to get the work done. And we can do the same. And we will do the same in some way, shape, or form. Christian fellowship means we have each other on our minds, in our hearts, in our prayers, and we work together hand in hand. We are partners. We are all in this together. We need each other. No one can carry out Christ's mission alone. Christian fellowship reaches out to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Christian fellowship participates together in the Christian life and in Christian service. It is partnering together with Christ. In other words, you need me and I need you to serve and to live the Christian life. But maybe you're already there and just needed this reminder today, and that's great. But maybe you're not there and are just getting exposed to the Christian life. Let me ask you this, if that's you, is today part of your testimony on how you gave your heart to Christ? Let's bow to the will of God. Worship band, come on up.